They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task, got it covered like a mask. Guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I live on borrowed time. My expiration date? I already passed it. But before it's done, I'm gonna chunk up the deuces. And welcome to the Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me, the Open Run with Will Strickland. It's brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. Hope you all had a great weekend. It was Mother's Day this past Sunday. And I've always thought about Mother's Day as a chicken and egg scenario, especially for kids who were born on Mother's Day. Like if you were your mother's first Mother's Day gift, who should get to burn that day? Who should give the love, the shine, the glow? Moms or the kid? Chicken or the egg? I don't know. When I was watching basketball, as I am prone to do from time to time since I do a podcast on basketball and life, I was watching this past Sunday and Jalen Rose of APC, ESPN, Disney Sports, whatever you want to call it. Maria Taylor really set him up. Not in a bad way. Don't get me wrong. She set him up to express his love for his mother. This is the first year since she passed that he has had Mother's Day without her. And if you know Jalen's story, like Jalen was on the cusp. Like he was teetering on the precipice of not being the Jalen Rose you see today. He was like a guy who was, when you, when you come from a certain place, when you're in a certain energy and you're around that, sometimes... Even when you're not trying to get into trouble, you can get into trouble. And Jalen Rose, like I said, was on the cusp. Ends up doing well in school, going to University of Michigan, having a stellar career there, going on to have a stellar NBA career, and he lived. And his emotional, heartfelt message to his mother was punctuated by, we wasn't supposed to be here. That he believed that he would be a stat, a number in someone's book, that he wasn't supposed to be here because of where he was from and how his mother kept him on track, told him he was always the best, just not better than Irvin Magic Johnson. When he used to sign little pieces of paper, Dr. J, and people would laugh and ridicule him. Mama, I made it. And on this podcast, it's all about International Women's A Day, not just one day, but A Day, except for certain times when people violate the very sanctity of life. R.I.P. to Kishla Rodriguez, who was brutally murdered by boxer Felix Verdejo in Puerto Rico, which has had a spate of femicides and violence against women. Some people try to point to the pandemic, but hey, it was a problem before the pandemic, champ. I want to give my roses. I want to give flowers to a young lady I never met, never will meet clearly, as she was murdered by Verdejo and his accomplice. And here's the catch. We found out 
how and why he did it because she was pregnant. He was having an extramarital affair and his wife was in on it too. Not doing the scandal thing, not doing the salacious thing, just telling you what it is. Like I said before, these are not pandemic problems. These were problems before the pandemic and violence against women is not an innate thing. It is a learned behavior. This idea of machismo or male rule and dominion over all things on this planet, man, woman, and child, comes from one place. I don't want to veer off too far. I've been watching Exterminate All the Brutes this past week by Raul Peck. Highly suggested watch. But we know what the virus is. It's not just a pandemic. There's a pandemic that has been slowly but surely killing everything moving on the planet. And then these ideas, this ideology becomes part of the norm. It is normalized that your conditioning gets conditioned. This is a learned inherited trait. But I think back to Keishla Rodriguez, who will never have first. Now, I personally am a fan of first. I like being first at everything except being last, whether it's being the first ever American president of the Urban Music Association of Canada or doing the first ever online concert of black music history or teaching the first ever university accredited course on hip hop culture. I like to be first. I don't know if Keisha Rodriguez had children or not, but this child that she was pregnant with, who died with her, Verdejo and his accomplice will be facing life in prison or even the death penalty. She never had opportunity to have first, first cry, hearing her child enter the world, a first step, first tooth, first preschool art. When you see the little hand turkey you make at Thanksgiving or whatever. She'll never see that first love, the first broken heart, the first steps to redemption. She and her child will never see that together. It's so sad, this femicide, that happens not just in Puerto Rico. And I don't want to be the, you know, uh, all lives matter guy, because that's not who I am. Just pointing out that this is a serious, serious issue. How do we prevent it? How do we flip our mind state? How do we have more respect? Because that's what it comes down to, is respect. If you don't respect this person, this woman, this life giver, this nurturer, how do, how do we even exist? What do we do? I'm not the gender whisperer or the life whisperer or the relationship whisperer or anything like that. I just wonder. I definitely don't have all the answers. One thing would be easy enough. Stop murdering women. Stop injuring women. Why? What do you gain? I want to support them. I want to uplift them as best I possibly can because I get uplifted as a result. So a young lady... Keishla Rodriguez, and I'm going to keep saying her name because her name should be said, will never have a Mother's Day. But I want to send a happy Mother's Day out to all the mothers who were able to celebrate theirs and also see their daughters not only take their first steps, but also see them transition into the professional world, into the global stage, to let people know that they are as good as anyone at whatever it is they choose. Case in point. May 14th, 2021 marks opening day of the 25th season of the WNBA, the Silver Anniversary. I was speaking to Kia Nurse. Well, I was actually speaking to her dad, Richard, who was a veteran of the CFL, the Canadian Football League. His whole family, very athletic. Son Darnell plays in the NHL, one of the top defensemen in the NHL. His wife played college basketball. Daughter, other daughter plays college basketball. Megan McPeak and I 
from, I think, episode 8, we spoke about them a little bit. And he was telling me the season was starting on the 14th, and I was thinking about this, and how I would do my opening exposition for the podcast, how I would feel. And I said, just keep doing it, because these women are at the forefront of a lot of activism in the past couple of years, standing up. So we need to stand up for them. So I'm going to stand up as I do my best to be an ally, to make sure I report the news, good and bad or indifferent, on what is going on, not just in the NBA or NCAA with the men, but also with the women or however you gender identify. So the season is going to run from May 14th to September 19th with a break for the Tokyo Olympics during COVID, which is going to be interesting. It's going to give us a blueprint for how this is going to work in the future because COVID's not going anywhere. I'm not trying to be a downer about it, but hey, they've been giving us the flu shot for 78 years. Still get the flu. Just saying. So they take a break for the Olympics from July 12th to August 14th. And this season, you're going to see 100 games broadcast. 25 on the ABC, ESPN, Disney Networks, 40 on CBS Networks, and 35 on NBA TV. So I'm looking forward to the season. Good luck, ladies. Good luck, Kia Nurse. Uh, Looking forward to working with you and, and your whole team at Kia Nurse Elite in the very near future. And I gotta be honest with you as I embark on taking some liberties with the words of the late, great Gil Scott Heron, the legendary bluesician and social commentarian, by saying, I had said I wasn't gonna start no more podcasts like this. I confessed to myself all along, tracer of life, and hoops trends that awareness consciousness show opening expositions that scream the pain and the origin of pain and death has blanketed my tablets and therefore my friends brothers sisters in-laws outlaws well they already knew but Keisha Rodriguez is dead I said I wasn't going to start an old podcast like this I made a mistake so I'm going to keep doing what I do And hopefully you understand and you embrace it. And if you don't, I can understand that too. But come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland and my special guest on the other side of this. You are now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland here with my very special guest, two-time, two-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, one-time All-Star, and of course, fellow Rice alum, Ricky Charles Pierce. What's up, Rick? Oh, you the man. You the man. <laughs> I am very happy to have you here. I tried, to, I tried to get ready to go shoot some links with you, and you know, I got my golf shirt on, courtesy of my man Brent Scott. You know, uh, also another one of the leading scorers in Rice basketball history, along with yourself. And uh, how, how you feeling, man? How you you looking good? Oh, I'm feeling good. You know, That's still good, working out maybe three days a week, keeping a little cardio exercise in. No, it's good, man. Well, I, I appreciate you for coming on. And I'm going to have you run your resume because I have some moments within each stop that you made. And we're going to talk about Rice a little bit later. But let's start with the NBA because... I remember and, and, and recall some things that went on in your career, and I want to see if you remember them. So okay. can you run your resume real quick from when you got drafted, 
the whole nine through your career, the stops you made along the way professionally? Strick, you going a long ways back, right? I got drafted by Detroit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Detroit, and then you go to San Diego. And then the San Diego Clippers. They don't a lot of the young cats out here don't re- realize they were in San Diego before, you know, they went to LA and they were in Buffalo before that. That's right. They okay. went on to Milwaukee mm-hmm. for several years and had a great time in Milwaukee. Oh, we're gonna get to that too. And, yeah. and where after Milwaukee? Milwaukee. Where did I go after Milwaukee? Uh Seattle? Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> hey. I told you, man, you're going all the way back. Hey, I want to, though. I, I think they need to know because it's very important, right? right. So you were in Seattle, right? Right, right. And you, you right. left there and you were in Golden State. Golden State, that's right. And then you went to Indiana as a free agent. Indiana. You've been doing your homework, huh? Come on, man. This is a, I went to Rice, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we went to school before we went to practice. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then after I... Left Indiana, where did I go? Denver, the Nuggets. Okay, you go on top of it. You on and top then of after it, that, man. you made a nice little, it was a nice little run in, in Charlotte for a minute when you went to the Hornets. I tell you what, it was fun too in Charlotte. Yes, sir. And as we winded down, the Bucks stopped in Milwaukee once again as you ended out your career, even though you had a short stint over in Greece, real quick, in between that. Right, right. But you know, I want to go back to Detroit because you had a 16-year career in the NBA, and that's not the average. That's not the norm, especially for a guy who, if I recall correctly, after a workout at Rice University together where you used to hurt my feelings a lot, sir, I'm just letting you know. Oh, young fella, you're too slow. Oh, you're too far away, young fella. <laughs> I can hear all the Texas in it. I'm like, come on, man. Why I'm right there, but I didn't understand. You taught me something. Now we're going to talk about that in a second. But if I recall correctly, do you remember what your draft? Uh, you were drafted in what round? First round. Num- what number pick? I don't know which one. You you keeping up with it, man? Which right, pick did I go? The here's the best part. I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it at first round draft pick. Okay. Okay. I recall you telling me when you went to training camp in Detroit, they give you a per diem. Correct. Right. Right. Remember how much that per diem was? Been a while. Been about sixty-four dollars a day. Okay. And I recall someone saying I would go back because you had to. I forget where y'all trained, but you went back to a dorm room. I think it was a dorm room, University of Detroit, Mercer, somewhere like that. Okay. And you said, "Young fella, I'll go and get me a loaf of bread, some peanut butter, and some jelly," because I didn't know if I was going to make it. Yeah. This is a first-round draft pick, and I, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to make the NBA. Like, now it's 450 jobs. Back when you were playing, what was it, 300, 350 jobs? Maybe, maybe. Right, right. So it's even tougher to make it then. And here's a first-round pick telling me he took his per diem and kept it. Even though they fed him, I still got peanut butter and jelly because I didn't know. It was about survival. <laughs> you don't remember telling me that? We sitting on the bleachers at Rice after we worked out. And I remember listening to that and like, man, do you realize how hard it is to make the league? And this is one of the best players in the country when he came in. I'm going to remind you of something that you spoke on earlier. Mm-hmm. I told you this right here, young fellow. Mm-hmm. You bet you off too far, right? <laughs> yeah. when, when you first go into the NBA, you that young fellow. <laughs> 
They call right. you Rook. You know, Rook, you know, they're talking to you just like that. Rook, <laughs> you know, it's a new experience, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like starting being a freshman in college all over again. Because you're playing against guys that have been in the league now for five, ten years, all-stars. I mean, you know, they telling you, Rook, you know. Hey, listen. What's different also is that you weren't playing against kids who just came from high school either. So these are grown men when you walked in there. Like, you were grown too. You were 23. But here, here's some dudes. They're like 27, 28. Then they're physical male prime. This is a different type of strength. And they all stars. And yeah. they've been there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They've been there. They're just like that high school kid, right? Right. I mean, so you're more like the high school kid. You have to learn now. So but who are you? Who are you in Detroit with? It's like Isaiah and I think Isaiah, he had passed his rookie year. It was like John Long, Kelly right. Trapuca. Right. Was Earl Curitan there? I don't know if Earl was there. No, Earl wasn't there. No. Vinny Johnson. Vinny Johnson who played at Baylor. Beer right? and beer. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in camp with those guys. Imagine sticking with those guys and winning the championship a couple of years later, but they moved on. They traded you. Right. Uh, and you went out to sunny California. You played in right. San Diego. You didn't know if you were going to get your chance, and finally you got to start a game on November 11th. Or I'm sorry, November, November 25th, 1983. Okay. okay. Do you remember who he was against? No. San Antonio. Okay. You dropped 30 on him, 30 big things on him. For 12 real? rebounds. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you, Rick, because when I look at the stat line, the 30 and 12 looks hot. 30 and 12 looks hot. But guess okay. how many assists you had in that game? How many? As many as I did, none. What? <laughs> Not at one, but you was out there to shoot that thing. That's what you do. But you got to understand one thing. That, that was, they was paying me to do now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> score, right. You know? right? I yeah. respect that. I respect that. And, I mean, you got the big gun off, and they told you. Do you think that moment against San Antonio in 83 – validated that thing that you didn't know for sure when you were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in Detroit? Well, the thing about it, you still learning. I mean, mm. you can have a great game uh, as a, I'm still a rookie. Right. Like, you still have to learn tendencies, player tendencies. I still didn't know how to play on the mm. NBA level. You understand right. what I'm saying? Mm. So I'm still learning how to play, trying to fit in. Can I stop you real quick when you said you're still trying? Now, you're a perfect – somebody pays you to play a game, and you're telling me, even though they pay you, you're still learning how to play at that level. Can you break down a little bit more about what that means when you say that? Okay. I played more of a small forward position in college, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm in the backcourt. They have me playing backcourt. I never played in the backcourt. Didn't really know the position. So I'm mm. changing positions. Mm. So it was difficult for me playing that guard position. Mm. I'll tell you one thing Bill Walton told me. He told me. Uh, Rick, and he was one of your teammates then. Right, right. He was injured. He told me, he said, you have heart, you're tough, you won't bag down from nobody. He told me, but you playing everybody the same way. You have mm. to learn tendencies yes, sir. of players. All right? So I go back to my apartment. And I'm thinking about what Bill told me, right? I'm like, all these guys, man, I have to learn tendencies. And I'm still trying to learn a position, too. Mm. So, I mean, it can be difficult. Trust me. 
you just described the difference in playing basketball and knowing how to play because physically you had all the tools, the ability to shoot the ball, to score, that's great. But what makes you greater, what steps you up to that next level, what helped you in your next stop in Milwaukee was understanding the mental part of it and the tendencies you talked about and stepped up your game to another level because, you know, they had just started the, the, the six man of the year award, 1983, Bobby Jones from Philly won it the first time. So in a span of seven years from the time it started to 1990, only two other people won that award twice, the sixth man of the year. It was Hall of Famer Kevin McHale and Ricky Pierce. Ain't that something? <laughs> hey, well, look, man. Hey, don't knock it. Like, think about the people who have won the award multiple times in NBA. I think it's like five. You, McHale, Detlef Shrimp, Lou Williams, uh, Jamal Crawford. If I'm missing somebody, maybe. I don't know. But just off the top of that, like, you know, when Lou became the all-time leading scorer for the guys with the bench, you applauded that. You're still fifth on that list. But nobody who ever came off the bench ever in the history of the game averaged 23 points a game off the bench. Off the bench. Them starter numbers. Well, you know, Strick, you just have to embrace it, man. If it comes mm-hmm. your way, you have an opportunity. You embrace it. You enjoy it. And you just keep moving and try and build on it. You know well, what you I'm did saying? That. You did that. Yeah. Milwaukee was tough in those years. Y'all had championship aspirations. And, you know, we had a great coach, too, Don Nelson. You were talking about my continuation as learning how to play the game. Don Nelson was, in, in my mind, is one of the best coaches that can really help a young player understand how to play the game. Oh, he was a wizard. And I think he was unafraid to take chances. I mean, when he turned Paul Pressey, he was the, one of the original point forwards. He did the same thing when he did with Marcus Johnson. Right. Then instead of having a traditional point guard, he would let the small forward get the ball off the backboard and bring it up the court. And Pressey was so – he was lethal. Lethal you know, with Sydney. It was you, Sydney, Moncrief, you know, cast like that. I mean, you all had Paul McKeskey on your squad. Not that Paul was great or anything, but he was on your squad. I just remember the guys – because I grew up watching you guys play. Right, right. right. And – I recall, you know, you had championship aspirations. Every year, Milwaukee was in that mix to win it, you know, fighting with Boston and Philadelphia and teams like that in the East. And I'm going to ask you, do you remember May 3rd, 1987? Okay, what happened? (laughs) Well, it was a game, a playoff game in Milwaukee at the old Mecca. It was the last game of the career of Julius Winfield Irving, a guy you competed against, the good doctor, Dr. J. The great doctor. You're out there hoping. Oh, yeah, I, remember, I remember that series. Yeah. That was Amen. a fun series. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nip and tuck all the way. You guys won 3 2. And I remember the reason I remember that and why it stuck out in my head is that I was watching you, you know, because you were doing work, you know, but Doc was my guy. And I remember when he walked up the court and he picked up, you know, he had this huge hands, picked up the basketball, waved it to the crowd at the Mecca. And walked off. You can see tears in his eyes. I closed my bedroom door, laid in the bed. If I had the accurate shot basketball, you're seeing all kinds of marks on my ceiling because that's all I was doing, my little Spaulding, and crying. My pillow was wet. I knew I would never see him play again. (laughs) Hey, look, I knew I would never see him play again. But like you said, you have to move on. You have to grow. and, And your career was growing there in Milwaukee. You had, what, seven or eight good years there, right? Yeah. That's amazing. What you were saying, you went in your room, 
you close the door, you start crying. And we're in the locker room. We just elated that we beat them mm. because they've been knocking us out, right? Right. And, and we knew it was his last year. I remember one interview I was watching him on television. I stole the ball from him at midcourt, right? And he said, Ricky Pierce, he tripped me. He tripped <laughs> me up All right. know, with, with his foot, right. which I did. You know, it was one of them little slick moves to try to get him off balance. And he stumbled. And I stole the ball, and I went in and laid it up, right? Mm-hmm. And so he running behind me. Earlier in the series, right, I remember that same move. I had a layup, and he trailing behind me. You could see him. You could hear him. You'd know his tendency. You'd know his move. And I didn't dunk the ball. I laid it up, and he blocked it from behind. And so, <laughs> that, so after I tripped him up, and I say, Ricky, you better turn your wrist and dunk mm-hmm. it in mm-hmm. because you know what happened. And he was just timing. As soon as I mm-hmm. turned it over and put it in, that big, huge hand just went right over like this. <laughs> I'm like, you know. Yeah, hey, so man. I have some memories of, of that game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you yeah. know what? I mean, what would you say, like, your most fond memory of being in Milwaukee and playing there was? Because I didn't really – I mean, I, I kind of glossed over Detroit and San Diego – but the things you gain, whether it be sitting there eating the sandwiches and, and making your own or Bill Walton telling you what you need to do to elevate your game and then getting Don Nelson in Milwaukee and winning those awards. What do you think was the most impactful moment in, in your career in Milwaukee? The team unity. You know, mm. we played as a team. I mean, our approach to the game, we played the right way. And everyone, we didn't have selfish players. Players knew their roles. Mm. If you score, you score the ball. If you're a defender, you defend. And that's what I like most about that Milwaukee team. Mm. We played Mm. together as a team. Yeah. But when that run was done and it was time to move on, you got moved to Seattle. A lot of young folks out here might not know that Seattle used to have a basketball team. You know them now as the Oklahoma City Thunder. But Seattle had a team, and you played on that team with a couple of young fellas that they might know because of the highlights. You know, we started to get 24-7 uh, news coverage, and, including sports all the time. And they know about the glove and the rain man. But what they don't know is that you became an all-star. So every every step you took, you elevated your game, became better, were recognized by the league, by the players, and by the coaches as an all-star in 1991. But you went on to the Seattle Supersonics or Sonics or whatever they call them now. And uh, you played with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. But you were also the leading scorer for that team coming off the bench. You started a lot of games there, too. But for the most part, you would come off the bench and you were still leading the team in scoring. People would think, oh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp led that team. No, you did. Right? So how did you feel at that point in your career? You know, you're, you're, you're in your 30s at that point. And you start to see the light, but you're still doing your thing. What was it like in Seattle? It was fun. Like you said, you playing with young players, Peyton and Kemp. I mean, it was fun. I mean, they're young players, full of energy. You know what I'm saying? But you were the vet now. You're the vet. Were you talking to them like they were, like, you know, those guys in Detroit were talking to you? Oh, yeah. They know what's up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Okay. Hey, Strick. They yes, know sir. what's up, man. You know, like when you <laughs> right. did the rest, right? Of course. Came up in that. I mean, hey. they know. 
<laughs> and I'm gonna let everybody know in a minute because we're gonna get into that. I'm, I gotta tell you something for real. I'm telling you. So I'm gonna ask you about another moment in Seattle. And y'all used to play. Was it? Sometimes you played the Kingdom, and then there was another. The um, what's the little arena before you got the? Um, I think it was Tacoma. Tacoma Dome. Sometimes every yeah. every once in a while, right. but you guys were playing in a playoff game. No, no, it wasn't the playoff game, was it? Yes, it was. If I'm not mistaken, April 29th, 1992. Do you remember what happened in that game? No. What happened? You got the ball. It was going out of bounds. You saved it in the corner. You passed it out back up top. He had a wide open lane to the basket. He took two dribbles, elevated, and hit the Lister blister on Alton Lister. That was one of the nastiest dunks in the history of the game, and you were on the court for that. You had the assist on that joint. Well, you, you see that play a lot. On the mm-hmm. yeah, you are in that. That was kind of funny, you know, because Mr. E, one of my best friends, you know, we came up playing against one another in high school. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know he was from Texas. Oh, yeah, he from Dallas, played at Woodrow Wilson. It was, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> funny. <laughs> Did y'all still talk about it? Oh, yeah, every time I talk with him, you know, that come up, you know that. Right. <laughs> he, he, so... You know, you had your time in Seattle, and did it feel like you guys were on the cusp of winning something great with these young guys and having veteran leadership like yourself there? We felt we was pretty good. You know, we were still learning, you know, as a team, trying to understand, you know, how to win a championship. I mean, we were just having fun. Uh, I know when we played against, we lost against Phoenix in Game 7. Mm-hmm. Western uh, Conference Finals. Yeah, just... They was a better team at that time. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, you really needed home court advantage to win. It seemed like home court advantage uh, really meant a lot back then. And you guys, you guys, I mean, the Western Conference Finals were seven games in, but you had to play the first round back in the day, at least before 2003, was five, the first round was five games. Right, right. right. And then you had the seven and seven for the semis and the, the the Western Conference Finals. What do you think the big difference? You said they were a better team. What made them better than Seattle? Because you guys had talent, but they had Barkley, who was the MVP that year, and they had Kevin Johnson and, and Dan Marley and guys like that. What made them a better team than Seattle in 93? Well, Kevin Johnson was really an experienced point guard that could mm-hmm. play. You know, he was tough, smart. Uh, Peyton was still a young guard. You know, but he held his own against anybody, right? Mm-hmm. And Kemp was still a young player. Uh, he was still learning. And Barkley, old pro. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I right. mean, he was at the top of his game, and I just think he was determined to try to get him a championship. Mm-hmm. And that home court advantage, if we would have had home court advantage, we would have beat those guys. Mm-hmm. The, whistle, the whistle, you know, flowed to the home team now. And I, I, okay, so let me let me dispel a popular myth because a lot of people feel like the referees get caught up in the moment just like the players get caught up in the moment sometimes. And so those whistles will flow a little bit differently in the home arena as opposed to, you know, for and for the home team as opposed to the opposing team. Is, so you're saying that's a true thing? I believe it is. I mean, I think you get away with a little call here and there. You know, and then you have that crowd behind you. But Keep do you, that in mind. Would you ever blame a referee for winning or losing a game, though? Because the players play. The referees don't get rebounds or not box out. They don't, you know, make bad passes. So in the course of a game, you know, it's hard to, to say that a referee is controlling the game. They can have an effect on it, no doubt. But at the end of the day, don't the players have to play and make plays? Well, of course. But if you at the end of, <clears throat> of the game, the shot clock, 
the game clock running out and say an official just flat out, don't make a call. Mm-hmm. Of course you will blame him. <laughs> but throughout the game, you know, it's on the players. You know, mm-hmm. you have to do your thing, you know. Do you remember how many technicals you got in your career? No. How many? I don't know. I don't think you got any. Oh, yeah. I got a few. You got a couple? Was it later yeah, or earlier I mean, in your career? Uh, I don't know. Probably mid, mid-career for – yeah, I mean, you, you you had the you had the flat top. You was the all stars, two times sixty man of the year. You probably felt yourself a little bit. Well, you playing against a lot of all stars and all of that. So I mean, you really don't have time strict to be feeling yourself, man. I mean, <laughs> because, uh, no doubt. Every, yeah, everybody out there is pros, right? Right. I mean, if you approach it that way, I think you have a a better understanding how to play and how to approach the game. I mean, if you respect other players. No doubt. And I think there's a reason you had a 16-year career outside of the fact that, as you used to tell me at Rice, hey, boy, I can shoot that pill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you used to kill me with that, man. But you move on from Seattle. You go to <laughs> then you end up going to Golden State. And it was an injury-prone season that year. You had some foot injuries and, and things like that. It was a really tough time in Golden State. Um, what do you remember most about that time in Golden State? Oh, it was fun. You know, at the beginning, before the injuries came, you know, we was mm. right there with the best of them. You know, mm. Chris Mullen, he got hurt. Mm. Uh, I think he got hurt first, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then, was it Tim Hardaway, maybe? Yeah. I mean, I know we all had injuries. And, and once you start going down in the standing and you have some young players, you coaches tend in organizations to, to start playing other young players. And, of course, I'm one of the older players. So, mm. of course, your minute's going to be the first one to get diminished. So, And I understood that. See, and not a lot of guys do. And I think that, you know, your handling of it, that's the being a professional about it, right? Because the next year, if I'm not mistaken, weren't you an unrestricted free agent? Uh, I believe so. And that was yeah. the first year of real free agency. Tom Chambers was the first free agent in 94. You move on to go to Indiana, do your thing in Indiana for a little bit, right? Right, right. That was fun, too. It's a uh, fun team. Yeah. Who, who do you remember from that team the most? Well, Mark Jackson. He was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we had the great Reggie Miller. Yes, know, sir. He was still a youngster. Well, not young, young, but he was a youngster. You right. know, uh, those Davis boys. Right. You know, they were young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man, that was a good team. Yeah. Right. Was Derek McKee yeah. on that team with you? Yeah, was Derek, Derek McKee. Yeah. Y'all had some pieces. Yeah. That's that was right. those are those are the years you're competing with the Knicks and the Bulls uh, in the East. Those hey, some of those games were not for the faint of heart, especially up under the basket. I tell you what, uh, playing in the East is fun. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really fun. I really enjoyed playing in the East because the physicality of it, you know, right? It was real physical, you know. When I think of like strong two guards in your era, like you know, really strong guys. Of course, you come on the list, Rock Richmond. Mitch Richmond was one of those guys. Right. Uh, Sharonis Marshallonis. Right. Like, he was a bull going to the basket. He was one of those first Euros that, like, he broke that kind of, like, they're not tough in, in this game. He was tough. I remember him uh, going to the basket a lot. But you guys are in that mix. And in Indiana, what happened? Did they, did they change their, I guess, motivation with the team that they had? Because you guys had a, a, a solid playoff team. What happened with your career there? Well, I was older in the league. You know, when you one of the older veterans, you're the first one to move on. 
I mean, mm-hmm. they are add pieces, you know, to one team. They start connecting the dots and moving the veterans around. And, you know, you'll play one year here, one year there, you know. So, uh, you know, my prime is – I wasn't in my prime anymore. But I could still right. play. And I had the leadership. And I had something that, that teams wanted their young players to be around. You know, mm-hmm. the work ethics, you know, a lot of uh, the coaches wanted the young guys to understand that. And so I guess at this point in your career, you're more of the mentor, elder statesman in the locker room, making sure that everything is going well. You get moved for Jalen Rose uh, and some people pieces to Denver. You go to Denver. Right. right. So what was that experience like in Denver? What was the guy named? Kenneth Smith was there. Uh, Mark Jackson was there. Yeah. And the other Mark, guy. Yeah. And then uh, what was that guy name? I can't think his name. I'm looking right at it. Oh, the guy that jumped out of the gym. Was it? You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't Lafonso Ellis. Oh, McDice. McDice. Antonio McDice. Yes. That's right. That's okay. right. He was there, but he got injured. He hurt his knee. Uh, the Kimbe wasn't there when you got there, was he? No. No. Okay, and you know what, Fonz was there. He hurt his knee as well. Fonz, yeah, you, you had a lot of injuries. Was Rod- Rodney Rogers wasn't there yet? Was he? No, he was gone. Yeah, but okay, he was gone. Yeah, you had some pieces. They just weren't on the court. And as they say, the best ability is availability. And That's so you, right. you didn't get to put it all together there in Denver. You know the opportunities. I, I guess again, going back to like the best moment in Denver. What would you say that was in, in the short time there? Well, it was fun. It was different, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, we was struggling to win after our key guys got hurt. And, mm-hmm. of course, like we talked about earlier, Mac Dice was young. He was our star, but he was young. Right. He still had to learn a lot, you know, and he was our go-to guy that we were going to. I mean, he was the man. No doubt. I mean, yeah. so, so with that, you know, trade deadline comes up. They're looking at the old vets. And they're not looking at the vets who can't shoot or can't play because, like you told me again, you can shoot that thing and shoot or stay in the league for a long time. You know, if you if you have a skill like that, and now it's a premium skill. You know, at the time you really starting to develop specialist three point specialist. You know, shooting and and you were still valued for what you could do, score the ball. And Charlotte had a young team as well when you went to Charlotte. So do you remember some of the guys that were on that team and and how you fit in there? Glenn Rice was there, Anthony Mason, mm-hmm. Dale Carey. You know, Chambers was there also. Yeah, you had some uh, shoes on that squad. Oh, yeah. And Muggsy Bogues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a, that was a fun team. I enjoyed yeah. that team. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Who was coaching? Do you remember the coach that was there? Uh, that uh, Ford, that guy from Boston. Oh, Chris you Ford know? was there? Chris Ford, yeah. Yeah, what? Ford. Yeah. I don't remember him having that job there. When well, Ford, was, well, Ford, Ford was there, wasn't he? No, no. It was Dave Counts. Dave Counts. Yeah, I told you, you going back. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm. You know, I want to make yeah, sure that, that that the young people who are listening and all the people who are listening know a little bit more about your career. And I think that the thing that they should glean from this is that it's it, it's not given to you, even as a first round pick. You have to come in because you got grown men that you're trying to take food off of their tables. You have to go and compete each and every night. There is no off day, uh, as I said earlier on. Uh, when we started the cast, like the buck stopped, you, you retired in Milwaukee. And and I, I want to know a couple of things, because I remember you talking to me about a certain player. He's not going to be named. And guys from time to time on different teams catching this thing called the 24-hour Michael Jordan flu, 
where we, if you knew that MJ was showing up in town, all of a sudden you caught the flu. Who caught the flu? Oh, they didn't really catch the flu. They just knew they had to guard Jordan the next night. <laughs> you remember telling me that? It's one guy on your team in Milwaukee you told me about. I told you, I'm not going to name his name, but I, I recall the Jordan flu. Yeah. If I told you that, is, I probably meant it. I mean, it was, I don't know. But <laughs> it's been a long time ago. We're not going to air him out, but I'm saying like, oh, that was, so that was a real thing. The guys kept, caught the Jordan flu, right? Because they knew they had to guard him. But the thing about it, he has to guard you too. Right. If That's you had the right mentality. Yeah. 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 All right. So tell me this. Who was the toughest guy you had to face not named Michael Jordan in the league? Who's the toughest guy you like? I hate seeing him, but he's good to compete against. Well, on the offense or defense. I mean, Either way. Some guys, there's some guys on offense that you know you're going to put up numbers. Like early in my career was George Gervin. Mm. You know? I mean, you can, score, you can score your points, of course, mm-hmm. but. I mean, he gonna score. I don't care mm-hmm. what you do. This man can score all day at every angle. I, I'm trying to tell you. And on the defensive side, uh, I don't know. All those guys they came out and competed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the taller guys, uh, Dennis Rodman. You know, he was tall and strong, and back mm-hmm. then you could really hold and push and use your hands a lot. And he was very handsy and long and. So <laughs> So you really have to set him up the right, right way. Yeah. Well, I think people need to understand that here's a man who questioned whether he was going to make it in the NBA, who ended up shooting almost 50% from the field when you can damn near tackle <laughs> in the game. That's an amazing accomplishment, man. Don't you think? Well, you know, I've been asked about today games and the time I was playing. The guy is scoring now. They scoring, but when we were scoring – we was getting hit before mm. we scored in mm. hell. You see what I'm saying? I mean, the physical part of the game was there. And mm. then we have to score after all of that holding and grabbing. These guys here, you don't have you, you can't touch it. Now, I would love to play in this game as an offensive player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Against anybody in the history of the game that you can go one-on-one with, who would it be and why? One-on-one? Mm-hmm. Just have fun? Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of guys I would love to just show up at the gym and we just getting in shape and playing and, and having fun. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that and more on the other side of this as we're in conversation with Ricky Pierce, The Open Run with Will Strickland. back to the open run with Will Strickland where the lecture is conducted from the mic and to the speaker on my very special guest two-time NBA sixth man of the year and one-time all-star Ricky Pierce go owls Rice alums hey man like you graduated from Rice not too long ago right went back and get your degree why why'd you do that well it was something that I talked to my mom about Mm -hmm. back in the day you know just don't go and play basketball Mm-hmm. Go and go and graduate. Do something. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just don't be a basketball player. Mm. But you love the game, you know. So do your thing. Well, you honored that, no doubt. And um, I, I think of all places you could have gone, why did you choose Rice? Well, my flight, 
getting a rice is a little different from the typical uh, top high school player coming out. Mm-hmm. But I went to a junior college mm-hmm. my first year. It was too cold, too far <laughs> away from home. Right. Up in, up in Walla Walla, Washington. Right. I was going to go to transfer to Washington State after that first year, but I wanted to come back and be closer to my family. Let them know where you're from, though, Rick. Garland, Texas. That's right. right. Outside of Dallas. That's right. Garland, yeah. Texas, very own. Yeah. And, and so you went to Rice, had a stellar career with the 1982 Southwest Conference Player of the Year. The conference doesn't exist anymore, but the records still do. And you actually played with one of my, uh, the coach that actually recruited me to Rice, Willis Wilson. What are some fond memories of Coach Wilson? You know, I still talk with uh, Coach Wilson today. He and I are best of friends, yeah. I mean, he was a very solid player. I really liked him when I first got to Rice. He could really handle that ball. He was smooth. And what I really liked about him, that he would pass me the ball. (laughs) That's the best part, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so look, you know, I get there back in the late 80s. You know, you come down there in the summer to work out. You know, it's a great thing because Texas has no state tax. So it's a lot of NBA players. We're playing at Fondy Rec. You know, you see the late, great Moses Malone in there. You see Akeem walking through from time to time, Rodney McCray, a bunch of Harlem Globetrotters. But we also got a lot of run at Rice. And that Jim Archie Court back in the day, no AC. Them fans didn't work. It's 120 degrees in that gym. You're going to get a workout. That's right. And I remember being young and dumb and thinking I can jump and stop anything. And you gave me the Art of War play. The Art of War, if you remember that book by Sun Tzu, was how in in war you use your opponent's strength as a weakness against them. Well, you used that I was young, dumb, thinking I could outjump you, thinking I was quicker than you and everything else to your advantage. So you make one little foot fake, a foot faint, just a little bit. And I would overcommit. Oh, young fella, you too. I thought I was recovering. It was already in motion. It was gone. <laughs> it was gone. And you taught me about motion efficiency. Like you didn't do a bunch of dribbling and all that. You just use your body and, and your eyes and your 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 up, like just little things and, and subtle things, because you you wouldn't consider yourself like a Michael Jordan type leaper, you know? Um, but you were smart with the game. Right. And I learned so much from you. That was so mad. One day we played one on one and you kept beating me down. I was trying to keep it quiet in the corner. I'm like, OK, I got this dude. I don't care. I don't care if he's in the league. I don't care. I went in that locker room just like I told you about Dr. J. I went in that locker room crying, Rick. I was mad because I'm a competitor. The things you gave me, even though you're talking crazy to me. Y'all know y'all don't want none of this. And, <laughs> and for as much as you're talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear you out. As much as you're talking about, oh yeah, you know you gotta you gotta take the hit and you go to the basket. I'm like Rick, how's that a foul, man? Come on, man. I just barely out of high school. You gonna call that a foul on me? Yeah, it's a foul. I don't care if you're how to. So I remember them days, Rick. But I learned a lot, and I appreciate you, and want to tell you face to face, man to man, how much I really did appreciate you because it wasn't necessarily just about basketball. It's about understanding that if if I got Sun Tzu from what you taught me from watching you play and seeing that like you don't have to be the most physically imposing. You have to be the strongest, fastest or highest jumping. 
you just have to be smarter and use your guile as well. Because once you lose some of that athleticism, what you got left is that ratchet and this. And that's if you right. do it, you stay on the court. I'm like, hmm. So that's why I started staying on the court all the time. Like, but I got that from you. So I want to thank you for that, sir. Hey, Will. <laughs> now I recall. <laughs> See? I can I can recall you being pissed off. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can recall that, boy, you was pissed, you was mad, but you we never disrespected one another. That's Without the question. We, we, played the, we played the game. We never disrespected one another. And when the game was over, we like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, sir. We get that workout in. Yeah, yeah. I, and yeah. I appreciated you so much, man. I think, you know, you were paying it forward to us. You know, you didn't have to come back down there. You didn't have to go work. You could have worked out privately. Though. I don't want to only want to work out with pros. But you gave us so much that you. I don't think you realize how much you really gave us. And and I talked to you off air before we got on about a young man. One time when you were in Milwaukee, you came back, you came to watch you play the Rockets at the old Summit. And you gave me a pair of sneakers. You used to wear some New Balance, the James Worthy sneakers, the New Balance, in the Milwaukee Bucks colors. Yeah. I was proud of those kicks, even though I couldn't wear it because we were a Nike team at right. Yeah. So I was wearing them around campus. And our ball boy was a young man who went on to uh, play and go to school at Northwestern up in Chicago, Evanston, Illinois. Um, came back to Rice to uh, get his master's at the Jones School of Business. Um, his mother worked there as an employee. Blessed that she just passed away not too long ago. His name was Joe Branch. He is now the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you never know when you do some things, right? And why these relationships matter and why we nurture them throughout time and why it pays to be respectful in understanding the blessing that you're being given because you blessed me with those sneakers. And I remember Joe who, he was like little, but he had the, he had grown man feet. Yeah. It didn't look right. Yeah. And he could, you know, Miss Branch blessed that she couldn't find 14s and 15s for him. Yeah. So he asked me, he just asked me, yo, Will, do you think I can have those shoes? I didn't hesitate. Yeah. I just yeah. gave them to him. Yeah. And now we have a relationship like that. And yeah. I never forgot that even when Joe was doing his thing at Rock Nation and now in Minnesota, that we still have that relationship. And I was glad to be able to call on you to come on and talk about that because, again, it starts somewhere. Right. And we pay it forward. So I want to, again, give you your flowers while you can you know, smell them, man. And really appreciate how you showed me that I could do the same thing that you did for me for somebody else and how it comes back in different ways sometimes. That's right. That's right. You, know? you never know when it when it's gonna circle back around. Mm -hmm. Now but but well, let me tell you something. You know okay. that workout you was talking about when I came to play with you guys, <laughs> and you were saying I could have went play it with at other places pros, location. Yeah. That was my third workout when I was coming to scrimmage with you guys, I mean, mm. I already worked out a couple of times now. Mm. I was ending my training session when I was coming back playing so, with you guys. So you still trying to throw jabs now? You're like, I, I went to three training sessions and I'm still out here cooking y'all. No, I'm saying <laughs> that for, for the younger players, the ethic that get, get your work in early in the morning, mm. let your scrimmages be, probably your last workout. I mean, you yeah. did your, your track work, your weightlifting work, your individual ball handling and shooting skill work, and then come and put it all together in the evenings. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you definitely did that, man. And I, I appreciate that. And I, I, you know, there's a foundation for all of that. You talked about your mother. You talked about the people along the way, the Don Nelsons, the Bill Waltons, people that gave you things. Family is big for you. I think that family, your faith and, and fitness. I mean, you look in great shape. Those are things that are foundational for you. But your right arm, Miss Joyce. Well, I have a wonderful wife. Okay. Yes, sir. I mean, she keep me well grounded and balanced. And uh, one for that lady, I'm telling you, ain't no telling what I'll be doing. I mean, she mm. kept us together. You understand mm. what I'm saying? How long I mean, you guys been together? We've been married over 35, 35 years. That's great, man. Never, yeah. Yeah. That is great. You got three children doing their right. thing in the world right now. Right. Right. So it, it, is that what drives you to do like what you do right now? Family, faith and fitness? Yeah. And, and you know, we put God first. You know, mm. we do our thing every morning at night, our devotional work and put that work in the same like like same routine when I was training. Right. You know, we we train in our faith first. Right. And let that carry us throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you started a business. I was telling you earlier that I, I caught this article about you where, you know, you make made sure you took care of your money. Right. You had some horses you took care of. You know, you're in the Gulf right now. And you started this company, AccuShot 22. Tell us a little bit about AccuShot. Well, I was my son has started playing YMCA basketball and mm-hmm. I taught him how to penetrate and get to the basket and Boy, he was going at it, right? And so the parents, they recognized that's Ricky Pierce, that guy played ball, et cetera, da, da, da. So they was coming up to me, asking me if I could look at their kid's shot. And so what I noticed, most of the kids were pushing the ball out of the palm of their hands. Mm -hmm. So that's when I came up with, let me think here. You know, I went to Rice too now, Strickland. (laughs) I'm kind of creative, right? No doubt. So I said, well, let me create something. And so that's when I came up with that idea to put the ovals on the basketball. So can you show us the basketball, the AccuShot basketball, please? You're partnering with with, with Spalding to make the AccuShot basketball. Right. See the ovals here. All right. So talk to us about that. Why is it important to have those ovals on the ball? Well, instead of the palm at the Mm -hmm. top of your shot, you release it off your fingertip pass, that's going to give you that backspin rotation. Make it a softer shot, a better shot. Right. And so if you're shooting it out of the palm of your hand, you shot putting the ball. And no that's doubt. what I've noticed with a lot of the young kids. They were shot putting, you know, and they didn't have any backspin rotation. They're just praying for it to go in. Well, they, I just, I remember, like I said, laying in my bed and, I remember my father, blessed day, telling me that when you shoot and you're shooting off your fingertips, when the ball comes back, if you have the right spin on it, it will come right back to your fingers like that. It will fall right on your hand. That's right. right. And so I, for hours upon hours, my mother used to kill me about the, the ceiling in my bedroom, all kinds <laughs> of scuff marks, Rick. I'm telling you, but all I could do was dream about what I want to do for a living, right? Yeah. The thing that yeah. really drove me and thing that I loved. And the hours you need to put in to, to make that a reality for yourself. And so the AccuShot is available where? At AccuShot22.com. And, and the young people who utilize this as a training method, like 
do you feel like this is like the next chapter of your life uh, and, and you're calling to, to kind of give back and pay it forward in that way uh, with young people with this basketball? I believe so. You know, with the NBA and even college now being a shooter's market and strict you, as you notice in a lot of the professional players, teams going overseas to get overseas shooters. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of great talent here, but the fundamental uh, of shooting techniques we have to get back to. Yes, sir. I mean, we can jump and run and dribble, but you have to put the ball in the hoop. Yes, sir. So, so, and yes, that's a part of Ricky Pierce giving back. I want to give back in a way that I can help players become better shooters because, you know, we have a lot of talented players right here. Let me ask you something. And I, this is, we're going to wrap it up uh, in a few, but if there was something that you want to tell us about you that not a lot of people know, what would that be? Well, I think a lot of people do know this. I mean, that I'm a laid back person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a quiet person. I don't like a lot of attention on myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd rather just stay back in the cut. <laughs> you stay yeah. back in the cut for real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, man, as I said, I appreciate you and I love you. And I want, want you to have continued success with AccuShot22. We're going to talk about you know, something with full court 21. Okay. Maybe setting up some sort of training situation. Right, um, right. And getting that together. But they can see, let them know where they can find you, Rick, if they want to know more nope. about AccuShot 22 again. Go to AccuShot22.com. And they can and also check find, it out. They can find you on the socials at AccuShot22 um, Basketball on Instagram and at Ricky C, the letter C, Pierce, on Twitter. Even though you know good and well, he ain't checking it. <laughs> go, hey, go, go on there. You'll see. <laughs> you go, hey, reach out to me. You'll see. No doubt. I appreciate you, yeah. brother. Uh, continue blessings, man. All right, baby. You too. Hey, let's talk on that, man. We are. That we talked about. Okay. Without question. All right, baby. Appreciate you, man. Come back for more on the other side of the open run with Will Strickland. All right. Strickland, and I want to thank my very special guest, my brother, fellow War Owls, Rice University, Go Owls, all day, Ricky Charles Pierce. I appreciate you, brother. AccuShot22 Basketball on Instagram, Ricky C. Pierce on Twitter, if you can find him, and reach out to him about the, the As a matter of fact, I'm going to work out with Rick. We're going to give away some basketballs, so I'm going to ask some questions, uh, you know, let's see. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. So the first question would be on how many networks will the WNBA be broadcast nationally this season? How many games? That's the second question. And the last question is what happened on May 3rd, 1987? First three, make sure you hit me up on my socials. You know what they are. You will win an AccuShot 
22 basketball for one of your young people, whatever the case might be, as the weather's getting better and they're relaxing COVID restrictions, you have an opportunity to get outside and work out with your young person because, or work out yourself. Who knows? I want to offer more life and love to family and friends who celebrated another trip around the sun this past week, including Christopher Emmanuel Paul my MVP of the NBA this year, who celebrated his 36th and also is a supporter of the world's most unique basketball tournament, Full Court 21. As a matter of fact, we utilize the basketball that he endorses for the NBPA, the National Basketball Players Association. You see the name of the president on the basketball with Spalding. And Chris was able to enjoy a big win over the New York Knickerbockers on his 36th birthday, despite a little dust up with the also aged Taj Gibson of the Knicks. So kudos to Chris Paul. Also another North Carolinian in the news Jermaine Lamar Cole has signed on at 36 years old himself to be a player for the Rwanda Patriots BBC Basketball Club, I presume, of the Basketball Africa League, BAL. As a matter of fact, Cole's over in Rwanda right now undergoing COVID protocols to try and sign this contract before the end of the week. I saw this news and I, I, I can't believe I'm about to make two no limit references in the past two weeks, but I said, what in the name of Percy Robert Miller is going on here? Because there have been celebrities of all ilk who actually have some game. J. Cole can hoop. So who would make your starting five? And it can be positionless because I don't know that Montel Jordan at 6'8 is out there hooping. I know he's close to 50, if not older than that right now. So that's not going to be the case. But I don't even know if you guys remember Montel Jordan. Whatever. This is how we do it. On the open run with Will Strickland. Hit me on my socials. Let me know what your starting five is of all-time celebrity slash rapper slash hoopers. Shouts out to Quavo, who said he was the greatest of all time. In a landmark engagement, five states have now enacted laws that will allow NCAA athletes, student athletes. I'm not even going to say student athletes. We know what this is. It's a business. Regardless of the name assignment or however you go about it, student athletes, athletes, are going to have the right to own their name, image, and likeness and make a profit from it. These states are pushing for it. The NCAA is up in court, backing up on this story, saying they'd like to have this all enacted by July the 1st. Yeah, you haven't done anything prior to this because you're getting this heat from the courts. Now you want to get involved. But now you're going to create an unlevel playing field for your Power 5 conferences. When you look at the states who have enacted these laws, Florida and Georgia have already signed them into bills. California's on the list. Texas. So think about where the best athletes in the primary revenue generating sports are coming from. California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. They'll all sign these into law soon enough. NCAA is trying to get into the last hour saying, yeah, we endorse this as well. No, 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 no. Because if you have 50 sets of rules for 50 different states it's the Wild West out here. It's the free market economy. It's going to be crazy. And really, what is the necessity for the NCAA? So they want to regulate it as soon as possible. Uh, to be young and in charge of your life and image, opportunity to earn from who you are. What a noble and novel idea. Shouts out to my guy, Robert Keith Ori, who graduated from the University of Alabama 27 years after leaving it. The seven-time NBA champion, congratulations to him. Just like Ricky, going back to get that degree meant something to him, meant something to his family. 
kudos to you, sir. Got to continue issuing plaudits to Adam Silver, the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, and Sharif Abdur-Rahim, the president of the G League, for striking a deal in Mexico City for a new expansion team to the league. In 2022, the Mexico City Capitans will be there. If you did know, Mexico City is the headquarters, the world headquarters of UNO, and yo soy el gran campeón del mundo de UNO. Believe that. Get well soon, shouts go to the young man who could arguably be either the second or third best rookie in the rookie class this year. Tyrese Halliburton out for the season. Was having a great year with Sacramento. He is the future there uh, along with De'Aaron Fox. I'd love to see what they can do with a full season of health behind them. And they're probably going to get a new coach. Yeah, they're probably going to get a new coach. Also, shouts out to Zion Williamson, who is out indefinitely as they make a push for the play-in tournament. And GM David Griffin got hit with these felonious stupidity tax of $50,000 in fine monies for saying that the referees have been neglectful and treating him like he was Shaq in the league, allowing people to bludgeon him left, right, and center. I get it. You're going to cave for your guy. But at the end of the day, have you ever been hit by one of those Zion shoulders? I haven't, and it looks painful on TV. I understand. A young man who could still be in college, about to profit off his name, image, and likeness, but probably enjoys the NBA money he's making right now, Anthony Edwards. Is he the rookie of the year? He has hit a record number of three-pointers for a rookie, 155 in the season. He's going to add to that with the last couple of games they had this season. But he is the third team to ever have a 45-5 and game. The others, Kevin Wayne Durant, when he was a teenager playing for the then Seattle Supersonics or Seattle Sonics. And, of course, hashtag he who shan't be named. Congrats and kudos go to my man, I am Kayam. Carmelo Kayam Anthony, the NBA's 10th all-time leading scorer and the only one without a title. Will that change anytime soon? We hope. First ballot Hall of Famer? No doubt. Congratulations go out to Russell Westbrook for breaking a record that many said would never be broken. It took 47 years for it to happen, but Russell Westbrook is now the triple-double king with 182. His numbers in the month of May, now I know it's only 11 days deep. And at the time of this recording, he was averaging 26, 16, and 16. That's video game math when you're playing NBA 2K with 12-minute quarters and a pumped-up guy. Russell Westbrook playing out of his mind right now as well. So kudos to him. And his career is going to mirror a lot of what we saw with Oscar Robertson, who couldn't win the big one until he got to the finals. With Big Lou, as you used to call him, the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Milwaukee at the end of his career. So once again, hat tip to Russell Westbrook, whose coach, Scott Brooks, who also coached him in Oklahoma City, has dubbed him the second greatest point guard of all time. High praise. Is it a reach? Sounds like it to me, but I understand where he's coming from just a bit. Of course, Isaiah Lord Thomas III might be a little upset with that. Who knows? And pretending as though we know where everything's going to fall out in this play-in. We know the four teams are in the mix in both conferences. In the East, we realize that Boston's in trouble. As definite most improved player of the year, Jalen Brown, who jumped his scoring up about seven, eight points from the season before, is out for the rest of the season. 
with a broken or torn ligaments in his left wrist. That's going to leave Jason Tatum alone. And I have to be honest about the experiment in Boston right now. It's failing. Brad Stevens could be a part of that coaching carousel I'm going to talk about a little bit later. On the hot seat for sure, this playoffs is going to tell us a whole bunch about that team. The Kimball Walker experiment. Be honest, one of my favorite guys. Love him. Just not working out. I know his body's breaking down on him. He's not available. And you know, as we said when I was talking to Rick, the best ability is availability. Don't know if I trust that front line either. The Time Lord, Robert Williams the third, or the writing remains of Tristan Thompson. And of course, my 19th favorite player in the league, the great Taco Fall. It's not going to look pretty in Boston at the end of the year. A lot of bloodletting, a lot of people being let go, moved around, and build everything around Jason Tatum, as they should. Charlotte, are they ready for this primetime action? I don't know. We'll find out. Lamelo, LaFrance, ball. This is your moment. Indiana, team turmoil, team dysfunction. Talk about that in a second. In the West, you know, everybody's wringing their hands about the Lakers. Ooh, they're afraid to play Golden State. Nobody's afraid to play anybody. And if you really think about it, now that everybody's saying Anthony Davis is back. Anthony Davis, look how he's carrying the team. No, they're just starting to figure out what they can do. They're in seventh place. Just going to be a harder mountain to climb. Who knows what's going to happen. But you do know that they have one of the most experienced squads in the league. They know how to win. We'll see how it shakes out. Same with Golden State. Draymond, Steph, and a bunch of young guys who believe in those older guys who have won championships before. They have a championship coach. There's not going to be an easy out in the West. Not even Memphis or San Antonio. They can be tough on any given night. They just don't have enough to overcome those top eight. Just don't believe it. But as we're talking about the top eight, as we're talking about the playoffs, as we're talking about positioning, let's talk about the Power Ten. One of our last ones for the regular season. With the Sixers atop the East with a 43-21 and record and in the West, the Jazz firmly ensconced up top at 50 and 19. Power 10 go like this at number one. Utah back in the saddle again. The Sixers at two. Phoenix at three. Milwaukee at four. The Brooklyn Nets at five. The LA Clippers at six. The Denver Nuggets at seven. The Dallas Mavericks at eight. The New York Knickerbockers with top five MVP candidate Julius Randle. Hmm, looking real good. And Portland at 10. Shouts out to Rick Carlisle. Shouts out to Rick Carlisle for passing the late Lowell Gibbs Cotton Fitzsimmons on the all-time wins list. He's now 15th, just behind Dr. Jack Ramsey. Um, But let's go to coaching because, hey, look, at the end of every season, there are going to be a lot of pink slips. Hopefully there's some new blood in the coaching carousel. Terry Stotts, lame duck coach in Portland. Let's just say he's out. He's out. Who gets that shot? Scott Brooks. Depending upon what happens here with Washington and Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, who's going to be out, could Scott Brooks be on the outs? We already said that Luke Walton's out of there. Brad Stevens could be gone too. Coach Bud, listen, if they do not make a deep run in the East, at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and hopefully the Finals, Bud is out. This bud is not for you, Milwaukee. And last but not least, Nate Bjorngren, who is a first-year coach 
in Indiana, but nobody likes you, except Nick Nurse. The reports that came out about T.J. Warren even saying he would request, I mean, they have been alleged, they've been refuted, but if it came out and that guy, and they, you can connect some dots. T.J. Warren, who played for him in Phoenix, he was a assistant in Phoenix, didn't like him there, found out he was being hired in Indiana. He's like, trade me, even though he's claiming he didn't say that. But let's put it like this. Dude opted for season-ending foot surgery rather than to play for this guy. Bill Baino, who we reported on a couple shows back, left because his parents had died, you know, one after the other. COVID was beating him down. And he just decided he needed a break from coaching. A lot of people said Nate Bjorngren, who's notoriously bad with his assistants, apparently, and other assistants. Greg Foster, who just got suspended for a game for arguing with one of their players, Gogo Bidaze. I'm probably saying his name wrong. But he also had an issue with Bjorngren. Former players from other teams he coached. And then Nick Nurse steps up the plate to Cape for him. All that is false. Okay. You won a title in 2019. Stand down, Nick. Oh, I heard the Raptors were officially eliminated from playoff possibilities and contention. Sure do hope Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Chairman Larry Tannenbaum ensures that he signs and re-signs Masaya Jury or else, in the words of that immortal Negro postmodern contemporary literary giant Marcus Lakey Edwards and Will Strickland, he'll be chunking up the deuces. Just like I'm about to right now. So until next week, make sure you do what's popular with the population. Don't get beat off the dribble. And continue listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It's the open run with Will Strickland. My sonic engineer, Rich Kid. You know how we get down, fella. Make it happen. Easy. <laughs>